Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Leanne Caldwell, an anchor at Washington Post Live and also co-author of the Early 202 Newsletter. Joining me today, I'm very excited for this conversation with Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace of South Carolina. Congresswoman, thanks so much for joining us at Post Live. Thank you, Leanne, for having me. And to our viewers, remember, we want to hear from you. So if you have any questions for the Congresswoman, please feel free to tweet at us at Post Live, and we will try to get that question asked. So Congresswoman, again, thanks so much for joining our program. I want to start with news of the day. The Treasury Department today said that it had to undergo uh, um, emergency measures because the debt ceiling has been breached um, as far as government spending is concerned and paying off our credit card bills. Uh, of course, we have a few more months left until it becomes really crucial and critical where there's nothing that the Treasury Department can do. But just, you know, this is going to be a fight, as you know, on Capitol Hill for the next few months. So where do you stand? One of your member, one of your colleagues, Andy Biggs, said that the debt limit should not be reached. Do you agree with, or should not be uh, lifted? Do you agree with that? Well, my position on the debt ceiling vote is that <clears throat> our current debt is entirely unsustainable. And if we don't have a deal uh, for any sort of budget reform by the time that vote happens, um, that's going to be very problematic, and it's not something that I'm going to be, be supportive of. And if you look at, obviously, inflation is still a major issue, spending, debt, deficit, all those things play into um, how we get out of uh, the rising costs and of, of goods everywhere across the United States. But if you think about it, the last time the budget was, we had any sort of balanced budget was when President Clinton was in office in 1998. And before that, it was under President Nixon in 1970. And I fault both sides, both Democrats and Republicans, for the, the deficit spending and the debt issues that we're facing today. Both sides need to be held accountable. Um, and this shouldn't be any argument that, hey, we, we, we're not going to do any budget reforms and yet have this debt ceiling uh, vote next week. It's sort of silly because we're in this predicament um, both sides need to address it. We cannot continue to kick the issue down the road. The White House says that it's not going to negotiate. <clears throat> so if this does come to the brink, are you willing to let the country default? For for someone who calls themselves a great unifier, that's not unifying. Uh, you know, when you look at the overall Congress, the White House should absolutely be negotiating on this. So the House is controlled by Republicans. The Senate is controlled by Democrats, which you saw in the midterms was a very close election, which doesn't mean one side or the other has an absolute mandate on their issues. This is a time for us to work together. And if we had a plan to rein in spending, balance the budget over the next de decade without touching Social Security, which, by the way, there's a plan to do that called the Penny Plan that Senator Rand Paul files in the Senate. I have a House version of it myself. 
But there are plans out there that are responsible, reasonable, and you know, really hold everyone to account for the debt that's been hiked up over the last several decades. Um, some Republicans are talking about a debt <clears throat> prioritization plan, meaning that if the debt limit is reached, then perhaps they should prior the Treasury Department should prioritize uh, what to pay, what bills to pay. Is that is that something that you could support? Well, I'd want to see what the priorities are already. If there's a government shutdown, critical or essential workers are allowed to continue their work and, and be paid for that work. Um, I would want to see the details of which I haven't seen. I would hope that any spending proposal would go through the regular order of the House and would garner approval from our conference, uh, our conference's majority. And every time there's a debt limit fight that really comes to the brink, it's been in the 1990s and in the in 2011. Both times there was a Republican House of Representatives mm -hmm. and a Democratic president. Why do Republicans care about the debt and spending under Democratic presidents and it's not so much an issue under Republican presidents? It's one of the reasons I fault both sides. For decades now, uh, Republicans are just as much responsible for our debt uh, as as our Democrats. Both sides are are, are guilty as charged. Um, for a long time, it's always been Republicans wanted to increase defense spending, and for that, Democrats wanted to increase entitlement spending. And neither side has held the other accountable. And now we're in this predicament with uh, trillions and trillions of dollars of debt that we're facing. And now we have a president who's unwilling to come to the table and negotiate some sort of deal. And I, and I, and I don't think this has to be some crazy far right or far left sort of negotiation. I mean, if you were to cut a very small percentage of every dollar, say one to five pennies, one to five cents on the dollar for every future dollar the federal government spends, you could balance the budget in about a decade. And I don't think that's too much to ask for either side to come to the table and figure out how, we, how do we do this? How do we save Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid? And then balance things out. And if you look at the penny plan that Senator Paul put together that I have in the House version, um, we don't touch any of that. And after the budget is balanced, you can increase spending by over 10% every year thereafter. Uh, that's called responsible. And it's just crazy to me that we're at this juncture and of course, there's urgency, there's an emergency, there's need, there are headlines um, to be put into this corner without the ability to have a conversation with the president on what might be a responsible next step for the next, not even asking the next year, but the next 10 years to do this in a very responsible manner. And that's completely off the table. And I don't think that's what the American people want right now. We're going to switch topics to abortion. This is an issue that you've been critical of the Republican Party mm -hmm. about. You said that this is an issue uh, that has been important, that's important to your constituents. And you really kind of credit the, um, a lot of your win on the issue and you listening to your constituents. Um, mm -hmm. Last week, the House voted on a couple abortion related measures. Um, is the, does the party continue to overreach and go too far on the issue of abortion? We do at this juncture. We didn't learn anything from the midterm election cycle. We didn't learn anything after overturning of Roe v. Wade. We buried our head in the sand and we did as we always did, which was pay service to the life movement. 
Um, and this is an issue I, I've said repeatedly over the course of the last week, I represent a swing district and the vast majority of the people that I represent on either side of the aisle were not happy after Roe v. Wade was overturned. And I'm a pro-life member of Congress. I have many exceptions, but I'm willing to meet in the middle and find some common ground. And last week we took these votes. Those bills are going nowhere in the Senate. And they're not, they're, they're not doing anything for women. We need to be compassionate, especially towards women who've been raped, girls who are victims of incest, um, as particularly women with, that have fetal abnormalities and can't carry those fetuses to term. And, and if they were, what dangers that does to their life and their re reproductivity. But one of the things that I brought up, the issue we should be focusing on, focusing on right now, if we're really serious about the right to life, we should be serious about women's rights as well. But guaranteeing every woman has access to birth control. For example, very, seems very simple idea, uh, but we have entire counties in South Carolina that don't have a single OBGYN doctor. And uh, so we need to be thoughtful about women's rights and the right to life. If you really are serious about it, then obviously reducing the number of pregnancies or unwanted pregnancies would reduce the number of abortions, for example. We often also talk about rape in this country. There are over 100,000 rape kits that are in the backlog nationwide that have not been processed yet. Let's focus on that for women. Uh, the other issue that I've been discussing also, and I'm working on legislation on the, the last two subjects that I spoke about, but a third idea would be uh, regarding foster children. Again, if you're serious about the right to life, let's get serious about how foster children are treated in our system. I can tell you in the state of South Carolina, we've had a lot of problems regarding uh, the care of these children. So what happens when these unwanted children are born? Who will take care of them? We need to have ideas that are forward facing, that take ideas from both sides of the aisle because this issue isn't going away and affects women every single day. Hmm. Um, on the actual abortion issue, there's some in your party mm -hmm. who say that perhaps 15 weeks is the is a compromise, is where it should stand. Do you support that? And should there be any sort of federal standard on abortion access? Well, I can tell you when we compare our country to other countries, 15 weeks is very is, is more generous. Examples would be in uh, socialist Europe, where on average, if we're even able to have one in that country, you're looking at a 12 to 15 week gestational period. Um, I haven't seen details of the 15 week ban. Uh, there was a proposal in the fall out of the US Senate that I did not agree with. It was a similar 15 week ban but there were uh, provisions in there that, that, I, that I couldn't get on board with, one of them being throwing doctors in prison and mandating that women report their rape to law enforcement. Those are non-starters for me personally. I was a victim of rape at the age of 16, um, and we need to show more compassion to women when we're putting forth these proposals. So I, the devil's always going to be in the details, whether it's 15 weeks or 20 weeks, because Democrats say viability at 24 uh, but that's too far, even for some Democrats. I held my first town hall of the session last night. The issue came up. And uh, I have a lot of uh, folks on both sides of the aisle that are supporting the measures that I'm putting forth. But I would want to see details on what other provisions might be. Is rape, incest, fetal abnormalities, life of the mother, are those things included? Um, and we'd want to make sure that, uh, that we're not mandating women have to report their rape or throwing doctors in prison, for example. Those would be things that I would not be able to compromise on. And most you've people been very, not. Yeah, you've been very open about your story. So thank you. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of people hear that and appreciate that. 
Um, I, on immigration, this is another topic and an issue that mm -hmm. the Republican Party has prioritized. And we're hearing that uh, a bill can come to the floor next week um, about immigration, but it's not about immigration specifically. It's more a border security only bill. Do you think that that should be the message of the Republican Party right now to try to tackle border security and leave off the immigration components? It's hard. I mean, with regards to immigration and the bill that we're going to be voting on, I hope that it's one that'll go through regular order, that it will go through the legislative process. It'll have committee hearings. If we're voting on it next week, it sounds like that's not happening. And that wasn't uh, isn't something that, that's going to be very difficult, I think, for people to support it not going through traditional order to be vetted and to be amended and in a way that all sides have a voice in this thing. Um, immigration, obviously, if you look at videos and media coverage of what's happening at the border is a massive issue. It was uh, the number three issue in my district following inflation and abortion in the elections in the midterms. We have a fentanyl crisis. We're seeing people in South Carolina die every single day from accidental exposure to fentanyl or fentanyl overdoses, et cetera. For example, uh, we have millions of people that are coming here every year and we don't have a secure border. We don't have a way to, to know who's here, if they're working uh, and what's happening uh, once they do get here. And so that has to be rectified. And there are Republicans that are center right and Democrats as well, who are willing to have this conversation. And on the left, obviously DACA is an issue that they wanna have resolved. On the right, we want border security. And I do believe it'll be very hard to do any immigration legislation. Again, it will never pass the Senate if we're only talking border security because the left has certain needs that they want met and the right has certain needs that they need that have put in there. And this again, this conversation is tone deaf. We are rushing through this process without hearing all sides of the argument. I got to tell you, in my district, H2B visas are huge in the tourism industry. And when we have these arbitrary caps that are set, we have many businesses, small businesses especially, that can't hire enough employees for the tourist season. These people come here, they work. After six to nine months, they go back home. And that's an idea that, that most Americans can support. But again, with, with only focusing on border security, we're, we're ignoring other issues that, that are out there. And it's a bill that only pays lip service to immigration because it'll never have any chance in the Senate. Um, you're also on the House Oversight Committee. Uh, the committee announced today that its first hearing mm -hmm. in a couple of weeks is going to be on the border. Is that the right thing for the committee to focus on first, or should it focus on the Biden classified documents or Hunter Biden? I have great confidence in Chairman Jamie Comer's leadership on the Oversight Committee. I know that, you know, my conversations with him, we want this committee to be taken seriously on issues that matter. I represent a swing district and immigration and border issues were the number three issue that was on, that were concerned, that voters were concerned with in this last uh, midterm election cycle. So um, you know, there are a lot of issues that need to be investigated uh, in the administration. And if that's where we start, then great. But I do hope that we have some substantive policy ideas and that we're just not, you know, going to committee and getting our five minute sound bites in for the next TV interview or fundraising or whatever, that we're actually going to work towards some type of solution that would be taken seriously and given consideration in the Senate. Do you think that the hearing should hold, or I'm sorry, the committee should hold hearings on the Biden classified documents issue? 
I do. I, I do believe that, you know, both sides have an opportunity to investigate uh, and hold investigations and have government oversight. I'm not opposed to the idea of it uh, and would be included on those hearings. There's a lot of information uh, that was hidden from the public. I mean, this was a story that came out days before an election cycle, and you had the FBI literally asking social media companies, Twitter, Facebook, and elsewhere, to censor those stories. And so from the government's perspective, who at the who at these federal agencies were having these conversations, it is a violation of the First Amendment. If it's a government entity that's doing it, obviously a private company can do whatever they want, have any criteria they want on, on information that's shared on their platforms. But when it comes to the federal government, then the FBI should be called in. They should answer those questions. And I think those questions are fair. Do you think that the committee should hold hearings on the Trump classified documents? Well, there, you know, it's hard to, to, to really compare the two apples to apples. Uh, for two years, the federal government knew that the former president had classified documents. They knew their location. And my understanding, they were at least given partial access to that information. On the other hand, you have a president who somehow forgot that he had classified documents or where they were for about five years. And no one knew that they existed. No one knew where they were. No one knew who had access to them, including his son, who apparently was paying a very high steep rent to stay in the home where these classified documents were stored in the garage. Um, so that's the first thing. I think having more answers for the public is, is a good thing. Uh, right now, with regards to the former president's investigation, all we know is what's been provided by the Department of Justice. So my only ask is that no matter who's in power, who's in charge, that we treat both the current president and the former president the same. So I was uh, relieved to hear that DOJ would be investigating the current president, um, just as they're investigating the former president. And I have to tell you, as someone who represents, again, a swing district, to see uh, whenever whatever political party is in power treat the other side differently than they would treat themselves, it's a huge problem. And it's something that I've been very vocal about and I hope that, you know, I'm going to be continue to be a strong voice. Whatever the standard is, treat both sides the same. Congress has one of the lowest approval ratings ever in its history. Uh, the American people do not trust its politicians, and we haven't given them a reason why. And we could start by holding our own selves, our own party, Republicans included, to a higher standard to rebuild trust with those that we represent. So the the Oversight Committee, uh, Jim Comer, who you just uh, praised, has sent three or four letters already to the administration about the classified documents uh, regarding Biden, but hasn't sent any letters uh, to anyone in the Trump administration or former Trump administration about his classified documents. Should should they start with sending letters and asking for information then? Well, the situations are somewhat different. We all already know that they're, there was classified information in Mar-a-Lago. So they're what different, we, we don't except have the, as and much, the big difference. Yeah. And Congresswoman, with all due respect, the big difference is, you know, we don't know a lot about the Biden administration documents just yet. Um, but the big difference with the Trump administration that we do know is that he tried to not give them back. He didn't cooperate. And that is where a lot of the problems are. Um, and so, you know, is that better than than what the Biden administration has done and has seemingly we don't know all the details yet, but has um, sent them over to the National Archives and notified the Department of Justice? 
Right. Well, again, going back to the former president, we we already the DOJ has already been investigating, including the FBI for, I guess, about two years now and including the National Archives. They've been involved in that process. But when it comes to the current president for the last five years, these documents, no one knew about them. No one knew where they were. No one knew, knew who had access to them. So they are different from that perspective. And the other question, too, and because it, it's again, it's very hard to compare apples to apples here, but we don't know what classified information or top secret was included because you unless you actually see it you don't really know and i think it's very important for both of them actually that the doj uh do their investigation i understand why congressman comer chairman of oversight i get why he's doing it because we don't have any information the doj just learned about it and in fact it was the administration when they found these documents a few days before the midterm election didn't tell the public about it. The public found out on accident when a reporter broke the news um, two months later. And so I, I get the need and the desire to get more information um, and because we just don't have it. And for five years, these documents, nobody knew anything. There's been no investigation. But now that there is, hopefully more information will come out as much as information can be shared with the public in the coming weeks and months ahead. I'm encouraged to hear the president is uh, providing his, he said he would reply to some of these letters and we look forward to receiving his responses. Also on the Oversight Committee are members like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, we know what she has said. Lauren Boebert, we know some of the things that she said. Uh, Scott Perry, who's being investigated, um, part of the investigation of January 6th. Andy Biggs, um, Paul Gosar, there's a long list of controversial Republicans who are on this committee. Um, you know, are they now the face of the Republican Party? And do you think that the committee is able to do serious investigations with people like them on this committee? Well, I think the same could be said for Democrats when they were in the majority last session. We had the members of the squad, uh, socialist squad that were on oversight. So does that make them the face of the Democrat Party? No, it didn't. Um, both the Democrat Party and Republican Party have a lot of different voices, a lot of different ideas, a lot of different perspectives. Now, do I want any one particular corner of the Republican Party to, to have more weight than the other? Absolutely not. I represent a swing district. Swing districts are where majorities are made. And I, I want to be very clear that it's going to be very important for those of us who are more centered on these issues um, that we speak out about it. Right now, it feels pretty lonely, Leanne, I have to admit. Um, I have gone out on a limb talking about issues, sometimes controversial, sometimes I get in trouble uh, when, I, when I speak the, the, these truths. It's really important for those who are more centered, uh, left or right, to, to speak out more because these issues matter. And, and it, you know, they matter to our voters, they matter to our constituents. And we can't run away scared because it's controversial or because someone within our party does something we don't like that we go hide and we don't talk about it. I've been very vocal from George Santos to the speaker's vote to abortion issues and saying, hey, time out. Uh, we, we gotta we gotta have a conversation about this because this view doesn't represent the majority of views in our conference. I hope I'm not gonna be alone in that. Right now, I tell you, it feels like I'm living on an island um, and I'm a caucus of one, but it's very important that all of our voices are heard. Well, this next question is kind of related to what you just said, and it's from a viewer. Jim Har Harley Harl from Washington, D.C. asks, your party campaigned on heavy emphasis on inflation, especially and border security. Why has the emphasis shifted to investigations? 
That's a great, that's a great question. And, and I do agree. Inflation was a number one issue. It was in our commitment to America is an issue. Honestly, it should be the first issue that we address in a Republican majority. We haven't done that yet. Um, I have a bill called the Penny Plan that I, I filed in the 117th Congress. I'll be filing it again in the 118th. It's a, it's a bill that balances the budget in 10 years. Senator Rand Paul follows, uh, I follow his lead in the Senate. So as soon as he files his, we'll file our version. But for example, it doesn't touch Social Security. It balances the budget in 10 years. Um, and every year thereafter, you can raise spending by over 10%. Those are the kinds of things that both sides can get behind. Those are the kinds of measures we need to be talking about. And we also need to address the elephant in the room. What are we going to do to protect women and women's rights? What are we going to do to protect life of the unborn? The two are not mutually exclusive. That should be one of the top three issues that we're addressing. We also campaigned on uh, immigration issues as well. And we're about to bring a, a, a bill to the floor, apparently, that hasn't been vetted. And it's probably not supported by all those in the caucus, uh, Texas caucus as well, Republicans in that state. That's what the bill really addresses. And it leaves out, my understanding is, other border states. And so I, I have a lot of questions about why we are picking certain pieces of legislation and prioritizing them when that is not what we talked about in the midterm elections. And I will tell you that I will continue to hold Republicans' feet to the fire. It's important that we put our money where our mouth is and that we deliver on the promises that we made. Because if we don't do that, there will be a solid reckoning in 24, both in the White House and in the fight for the majority, which is looking pretty bleak right now. But we've got a lot of work ahead of ourselves. Is the focus on what Republicans are focusing on, all the things you know that you just mentioned, um, because um, of the far right faction of the party and their demands in order for Kevin McCarthy to become Speaker of the House. Has he sacrificed what so you won your election on and other Republicans in order just, you know, putting that agenda aside so that he is able he was able to get the speaker's gavel? Well, there's nobody besides Kevin McCarthy. And in fact, the majority, or at least half of the Freedom Caucus, actually voted for him every single time. This was just a handful of people trying to exert power. And I've talked about this a lot over the last week, but there are certain members of that small faction that were sending out fundraising emails every time they voted against McCarthy. Others use it as a wedge or a tool to get certain committee assignments. And we saw that this week with some of those members um, who got very cushy committee assignments. But I will tell you, as someone who uh, operates very independently, uh, I have a gavel now on oversight. I'll be one of five or six committee chairmen on the oversight committee. And so that gives me some encouragement that our voices are going to be valid. Our voices are going to have a place within the conference. But I do question, and I will continue to publicly question, the bills that we're putting forward that don't have the input of every member of our conference or don't have the ability to cross over into the Senate and have any chance of passing. Because all we're doing is messaging for the next election. We're not doing anything for the people that we represent, whether that's in South Carolina where I live or anywhere else in the country. And we've got to uh, be more vocal about that and put pressure on our own party to do what we said we were going to do, and then not allow special people with special bills to have special priority when uh, when many of us fought very, very hard to get in the majority. And uh, mm -hmm. it was those of us that were tackling very controversial issues that those on the far right don't, you know, they don't have to do that every two years. They don't understand yeah. 
some of the, uh, the, the challenges that we have with when you have a district that's a third independent, a third Democrat, and a third Republican. It's very different. Yeah. Uh, real quick before we have to jump, uh, a couple questions about politics. Um, uh, mm -hmm. Donald Trump it will be in your state very soon to campaign for his presidential election. Uh, will you support him? Well, I actually have two constituents right now in the first congressional district, Tim Scott and Nikki Haley, who many uh, in, in the media are touting as potential presidential candidates in 2024. I am going to keep my powder dry until the field is set. One of the things that I will be doing is I'm going to be rolling out a series of candidate forums with the different presidential candidates. Um, and so I will not be attending that event, nor will I be weighing in on the presidential election until the field is set and we've had a chance to hear from all the candidates. I want to give them all a, a, a fair shake. And what I do hope to see on the ticket in 24 is a more diverse ticket than Republicans have ever had, whether that is uh, minorities uh, on the ticket or a woman. Those are things that I support and I know are desperately needed in our country today. We also need someone who's going to unify not only the party, but unify independent voters who've traditionally voted Republican, but don't have don't feel like they have a home anymore. And that's what I'm looking for in a candidate who will bring all those voices together, do it in a way that's kind, that's loving, that's strong, um, and that will bring our country together. I mean, I'm out there all the time and uh, I, people are really angry at us right now as they should be. And we've got a lot of work to do. Uh, Tim Scott and uh, Nikki Haley that you mentioned, that was gonna be my next question to you. So you already answered yeah. that. So finally, Congresswoman, um, mm -hmm. the election's not till 2026 that I'm about to ask you about, but do you plan to run against Lindsey Graham for the Senate? Are you contemplating it? Oh, I have no plans to run for the US Senate in 2026. I am taking it a day at a time. I work very hard. I work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I held my first town hall last night. We call it cocktails with your congresswoman because we want people to come out and enjoy the experience. But uh, I, I work for the first congressional district in South Carolina, and right now I plan to stay there. Great. As long as voters will have me. <laughs> well, you won by a huge margin. I covered your first race when you upset yeah. the Democratic candidate. So uh, your two terms are two elections in. Congratulations. Right. Thank you. Um, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, Republican of South Carolina, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.